Well, amen. And uh, today we are concluding our series that we've been in the last several weeks when, when God becomes small. And let me set this up. If you haven't been here with us, we're talking about the things that God values, the things that are most important to God. We're, we're not diminishing in any way the reality that God is big. God is powerful. God created the heavens and the earth and God can do all things. However, sometimes if we focus all of our attention on the bigness of God, it's possible we miss an important thing in Scripture that is revealed to us. That God is close. God is intimate. God cares about the everyday things that is going on in our life. And what we need to realize is that when God becomes small, it doesn't mean that God becomes powerless. It means that God becomes personal. And it becomes something that is important and intimate to our lives. So over the last several weeks, we've been talking about this and thinking about how that applies to our life. That when, when Jesus comes and he says, what you need to do is love God, love your neighbor. That's an intimate, a call for intimacy. That's a call for, for being very deliberate in how we treat one another and how we, how we interact with people created in the image of God. When Jesus comes and people expect him to be some big, incredible, powerful leader, God came down to earth. He demonstrates and tells people the greatest among you will be the servant of all. Changes their expectations completely and he repeats this phrase in scripture multiple times. He says, the last will be first and the first will be last. What Jesus is communicating over and over is that God's values are many times different than the values that we have. Sometimes people's expectations of what God is like and what God cares about is different than what's displayed in scripture. God is close. God is intimate. God wants a relationship with us. And in fact, in one verse we read a couple weeks ago, it says, I don't call you servants, I call you friends. The God of the universe calling us friends. That's pretty personal. That's pretty intimate. That's God coming down and being really close to us. Well, in the scripture, as we've seen and we've even talked about it in this series, is that there is uh, kind of a, a foil in some ways to, uh, to Jesus when he's here on earth. What I mean by that is, is this interaction that Jesus has back and forth and uh, these conflicts that Jesus has back and forth when he's on earth is often with the religious leaders of the day. They are always criticizing and sometimes trying to trap Jesus and trick Jesus. And, and he's always shattering their expectations and changing the way that they think about things. It's interesting that, it, that the harshest critique that Jesus has is not for the people that are far from God and, and uh, are, are not in a relationship with God. It's those people that are religious but are missing the point. And Jesus comes and critiques them. In fact, in Mark chapter 7, 6 through 9, uh, Jesus has this one of these interactions with the religious leaders. And, and they question Jesus on this all-important topic that maybe you've had an argument with your kids about before. They noticed Jesus and the disciples didn't wash their hands 
before they ate. Okay? I don't know what side of the debate you're on here. Uh, as far as um, uh, you better wash your hands before you eat, but the Pharisees noticed this and uh, uh, Jesus replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he continued, you have found a way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. What's more important is you do a thorough hand washing instead of the things that are more important. And Jesus was making that critique and calling them hypocrites and quotes from the book of Isaiah right here saying that they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. There is so many times that it's just so fascinating to read in the Bible that people who were anticipating, looking for, and hoping for the Messiah to come, they spent their whole lives looking. And when Jesus is standing right in front of them, they miss it. They don't see it. They don't understand that it's him. They, they, they think he would be different. And so they're kind of thrown and they think Jesus is a threat instead of the one that they've been hoping and praying for and looking for all these years. It reminds me of one of my favorite stories. One of my favorite stories, and uh, I heard this years and years ago, about a guy by the name of Joshua Bell. Anybody know who Joshua Bell is? Okay, there's a baseball player that's named Joshua Bell, but not that Joshua Bell. Joshua Bell is known as the uh, best violinist in the world. He's known as the number one violinist in the world. And in fact, uh, one day, uh, he decided to do an experiment. So he went to the D.C. Metro train station early in the morning as, pe as it was busy and people were commuting to work. And he just went in normal plain clothes and he brought with him his violin, which happens to be a 300-year-old uh, Stradivarius violin that is estimated to be worth $14 million, by the way. He brought that with him in plain clothes, uh, set it up, put out his violin case, and just started playing to see how people would respond to the foremost violinist in the world holding the most expensive violin in the world, see how people would respond and watch just for a moment how people respond to Josh Bell as he's in the the train station playing his violin
There's Joshua Bell. Uh, he actually did pretty good. He hung out there for about an hour and a half. There was thousands of people that passed and about uh, 15 or so people stopped, tossed in some money. At, right before he was about to leave, someone noticed him and recognized him because he was actually going to play uh, uh, at, at a sold out um, orchestra event. That's not very well put, but uh, you can, you can, you can, you get my point. Um, you can see that I wasn't there, uh, but uh, he was going to, somebody noticed him and recognized him and, and tossed in like a $20 bill and was like, uh, like wanting his autograph. But he, he hung out there for an hour and a half. He ended up getting about 50 bucks in his violin case, including the $20 bill that he got in there. And uh, yeah, a couple of people recognized him. But they didn't realize who was in front of them. The best violinist in the world with a $14 million violin. My guess, if they knew that, he wouldn't have walked away with this $14 million violin. That's just my guess. But they didn't recognize or understand what was right in front of them. They didn't understand that they just thought it was just an ordinary situation because, you know, you don't expect the, the best violinist in the world to be there when you're going to work. I looked it up, and in fact, Joshua Bell is coming to uh, Denver next April, and you can get tickets, but it's next April, and they're almost sold out. The cheapest tickets you can get right now are $66. That's the cheapest tickets you can get for an event that is half a year away right here, right now in our town. So uh, one ticket costs more than what he got standing out there for an hour and a half because they didn't recognize him. And neither did these people. They didn't recognize Jesus. Maybe they thought, they, they thought you know, somebody who is, who is teaching people to serve others. That's... That's not the message we expected. That's not the thing that we expected. That's not who we, who we wanted to come. And people missed Jesus. They were looking out for him their entire life. And maybe we're, we're tough on these Pharisees and religious leaders, but if you look at even the disciples of Jesus, they kind of miss it sometimes too. James and John are interesting characters. They're the feisty followers of Jesus. Peter, you could probably throw them in that category as well. But they're the feisty followers of Jesus. I call them that because of Luke chapter 9, 51. It says this. It says, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He sent messengers ahead of him who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. And then he said, it, then he and his disciples went to another village. James and John were nicknamed thun, Sons of Thunder, maybe because of this very event. They were nicknamed the Sons of Thunder. They were feisty. They were fired up. They wanted really to do things, to get things going. They wanted to really be great. In, in, in another account in Scripture, it talks about a time where they came to Jesus and said, Jesus, 
Let us sit at your right and at your left when you come into your kingdom. And it seems as though they were saying, when you become powerful and you have your throne and you have all your gold and you have all your power, let us sit to your right and left. Let us help you rule. Let us be your right-hand people. In modern-day context, it would almost be like, hey, Jesus, let us be your CFO and COO. Let us be in charge. They were ambitious. They, were pow- they wanted to do incredible big things. And in some ways, you know, that's good. Some ways that's, that's understandable. But Jesus gives a different perspective. And really for us, I think, think it should be something that gives us freedom. The freedom for us to think about the small things. The freedom for us to understand what is really important in life. Instead of like trying to clamor and push our way to be at the right and at the left of Jesus. To call down fire from heaven to get back at our enemies. Jesus shows them a different way. A different way to be great. A different way for them to to really respond. And to, to know what it is to be a part of what Jesus is establishing here. And you know, it's interesting. Sometimes it's hard even looking back at the path that the followers of Jesus had. Because you'd think that the people who are closest to Jesus would have an easy path. Shouldn't they, shouldn't they like really be rewarded? Because there was a day when they, nobody really was listening and following Jesus and they left everything, followed Jesus. That's amazing faith they had. You'd think If life was fair, people like James and John would maybe get some rewards on earth for their faithfulness. But the path that these disciples went on was not a simple one, not an easy one. In fact, it was a really difficult one. The sons of thunder went through all kinds of trials and tribulations, and the path they went on was difficult and and hard. Um, when Jesus went to the cross, it was John that was there, the only disciple. And Jesus looked at John and he said, he said, John, I want you to take care of my mother. Take care of my mother. Take care of her. And you think about it. You think about this guy who wants to be right hand of Jesus, CEO, CFO, that guy. You want me to take care of your aging mother? That's what you want me to do? That's the mission that you have for me? It's, it's really interesting. What, don't you think that Jesus could have farmed that out to somebody that was less important, less significant? Couldn't he, couldn't he find somebody that was on the periphery and say, all right, you look after my mother? No, the inner circle, John, the one disciple that shows up at the cross, it's like, okay, Jesus says, take, look. Take care of her as I, as I go. Pretty interesting, isn't it? And if you think about the path that John is on, the one that says, let's call down fire from heaven. Let's be at the right hand of you. It seems like God was doing something in his heart. God was trying to show him something different. Some kind of freedom, some kind of path that he would understand what God values. What's more important, sometimes the small things, 
Sometimes those intimate things, sometimes those personal things are more important maybe than the big dreams and goals that we have on this earth. James had an interesting path as well. And his story is even more difficult in many ways. James was on his way to greatness. There's no doubt about that. In the Bible, you see that there's, of course, the 12 disciples, but there's the the three inner circle disciples, James, John, and Peter. James is the older brother of John. Seems like he's like, he's like right there. He's got an important path. And it's, it's interesting what happened to James. James is uh, in about 42 AD. What happened to James is King Herod launched persecution on the church. And several followers of Jesus were arrested, including James. The, the Bible doesn't uh, detail these, these events, but uh, church history has passed down some of these things. And it says that, um, that tradition tells us that there is uh, a guy by the name of Josias who brought the accusation against James, that he was proclaiming the message of Jesus Christ. And that led to his arrest. So when Josias saw the faith and character that James had and how he conducted himself in the final hours and in his arrest, he even saw, um, he even saw how James was so brave when he was facing death that church history tells us that um, uh, he converted to Christ. Just by watching James, he was the one that got James arrested. He watched James and saw how how faithful he was, how courageous he was in the face of death. And he was transformed in a moment. And so here's what happened. James and his accuser, Josias, went and actually were led away together. And both of them were beheaded. On the way to be uh, executed, Josias uh, begged James to forgive him. And church history tells us that James paused and said, peace be with you. Kissed that man who had betrayed him. And the two were beheaded at the same time. We don't hear much about James because he was one of those first followers of Christ that was killed for his faith. And in his death led a man to Christ who was his accuser. It doesn't seem like that should have been the path for him. It doesn't seem like that's fair. It doesn't seem like that would would be the way that somebody in the inner circle would die. But that was his path. And it was in his humility that he had such an impact, just like many other faithful followers of Christ did in those early years of the church. So how about John? Other son of thunder, John there at the cross, who was asked to look after Jesus' mother Mary. Unlike his brother, he lived to be an old man. Uh, This gave him time. He wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and uh, uh, Revelation. And so um, he was actually banished to an island later on in his life to be kind of a, a... Uh, imprisoned on the island of Patmos. Um, He was 
an old saint in many ways. And church history tells us this, that there was a, a moment right at the end of his life that he would, uh, he would sometimes be at these different Christian gatherings that they had, and they would carry him out because he couldn't walk. And they would carry him, and with just the, the he was really old, and the, the little uh, voice he had, he would regularly just tell people over and over, he would say, little children, love one another, love one another. And there's historic accounts of that's what he continued to tell people over and over. And if you read 1st, 2nd, or 3rd John, you can see the themes of those books is, is love. 1st John 4, 7 says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. From the son of thunder, John, who wanted to call down fire from heaven. He's the, he was later called the, gospel, the apostle of love because he made this such an important theme in his writings. Love one another. Love one another. You can just see him just old and carried out and just in that barely having a voice telling people, little children, love one another. Love one another. Can you imagine that scene? Imagine what that means. As we look at the, the, the path of these disciples, and we, as we look at the transformation, because we can see what they were like when they, when they were first with Jesus and later on in life, and what, what happened and how they were transformed, you can see that there was a radical transformation that took place by being around Jesus. Their priorities changed. The things that were important to them changed completely. And they, they, they valued things differently. They, they never were rich. They were never powerful in that way. But they came to know and understand that the, that the kingdom of God, God's message, was about those small things. And that is powerful. It was about, it was about how you treat one another. It was about those interactions that we have in your life. How has God transformed you? Has God changed any of your maybe ambitions? Maybe sometimes when we're young and ambitious and are wanting to do things, we're like, I want to do big things. I want to do great things. Nothing wrong with that, right? Nothing wrong with having ambition and goals and dreams. And God is a big God that does big, amazing things. Nothing wrong with that. But sometimes maybe, maybe we get so caught up in things that we're, we're running around wanting to call fire down from heaven. We're missing how we should treat one another, how we should care for one another. We're missing the heart of God. Maybe in the extreme, we might be people that honor God with our lips, but our heart is far from him. If God was here today and Jesus was here today and we walked in and interacted, would we see it or would we miss it? Would we know what God's goal is for your life? Would you know the heart of God? 
Or would you be so consumed with maybe your blind ambition that you would, you would walk right past God on to bigger and better things? Something more important, more significant. God, I don't have time for these small things that you talk about. I don't have time to be a servant. I don't have time to love my neighbor. I don't have time for that. I got bigger and better things to do. More important things to do. I got kingdoms of my own to build. As we look at these words and we look at the transformation of the disciples, we have to just stop and pause and ask ourselves, is, what would it take for me to be transformed into what God wants me to be? What would it take for me to move my personal ambitions and personal goals to be someone that has the same goals and heart that God has for my life. I think for me, it would, it would mean sometimes I need to slow down, make sure the person that I'm standing and talking to, that I look them in the eye and recognize they're a child of God, created in the image of God, and I need to grow in my love for others. That's what it means for me. I know what it means for me is sometimes I need to slow down, stop, stop running after, after things that are unimportant and pause and Pray and seek the heart of God. I know for me, sometimes I need to look at the things that I have deemed in my life as small and elevate those things and make those things more important. I don't know, for each of us, I think we would recognize that there's moments in our life that we're running so fast, we're running after our own things, that we could run right by what God has for us and what God wants for us. So we see these, the life of James and John. I'm encouraged that they were, they were transformed. They were completely different people at the end of the story. It's my prayer for us and it's my hope for us as a community that our hearts are close to God the longer and longer we're here. The longer and longer that we're close to God, we grow in our love for others. We grow in our understanding of what God would want for our life. Look back at your life. Look back at the last 10, 15, 20 years. If you've been a professing Christian, somebody that says, I'm a follower of Christ, have, have you grown in your love for others? Have you been transformed in this way? Is your heart closer to God? Because that's a mark of someone that is, is getting it, is catching it, isn't missing God's message here on earth, isn't missing what God wants to do in our heart and life. As a church community, we hope, of course, that that's the same. As the scripture says, they will know you by your love. You'll be recognized and understood by how you care and treat other people. Let's take a moment to pray. God, we thank you that you are big and powerful and nothing is beyond you. We know that. But God, something that is profound in Scripture is the, 
reality that you come close. You're very intimate. You care about those little details, our thoughts, our motives, how we treat one another. You care about those things. So God, it's my prayer that we wouldn't just think about the things that are really big. We'd also think about the things that are small. God, that we'd be transformed from the inside out. It wouldn't just be our words or our lips that profess your name, but our heart would be close to your heart. God, it's my prayer that I would be consumed with an unquenchable ambition to love others. God, I thank you as we see in scripture that you saw these wild brothers who were wanting to call fire down from heaven and you called them, redeemed them, transformed them, and changed them. God, change us. Transform us. And forgive us.